Good morning, everybody. Thank you, Madala, for opening up uh, the major point of my sermon today. And I was so encouraged because from the very first song that we started uh, before Market Up to welcome you all was, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Um, and whether the, the, the sun comes up or it's setting, we bless the Lord. And I'm like, Lord, this is my sermon sung. It's wonderful. So uh, the Lord has definitely got a word for us this morning, and He's just been encouraging us from start to finish. So I hope you have your ears turned on this morning, because what I sense the Lord has for us, it's very simple, but it is for such a time as this. Uh, this morning, I am very aware, church, that in our country, in our city, and even in our homes at the moment, there is a great heaviness. I don't know if you feel like that. There's just a heaviness in our hearts. No one wants to listen to the news anymore. Every time load shedding happens, we hear about the next thing. And I just sense the Lord wants to lift up your heads this morning and to arm you with a weapon that Paul used so well in this book of Philippians that he could look at these situations that he was facing and say, Oh, Lord, I praise your name. I bless you. And I just sense for many here this morning, there is a new sense of freedom for you that is available that Paul wants to teach us through the Spirit. So, my title today for our 10th, can you believe it, week in Philippians, um, is Standing Firm Under Trial. Standing Firm Under Trial. And I'd love you to open up your Bibles. Uh, let's read from Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. And we're going to read till verse 19. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12 to 19. Again, I encourage you to bring your Bibles every week because some of it's on the screen, but some of it is in front of you in the book. So, uh, we're going to jump around a little bit, but it's just great to know where we are in the Word of God. And so let's read together. Paul says uh, to this Philippian church in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul is in prison. He's there uh, under house arrest uh, because of his work for Jesus. And he's in Rome, and he's awaiting his trial before the emperor. So he says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the former proclaimed Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. I want to remind you that part of the gift of Philippians as a book is Paul is modeling to us how to finish well. Christians, I want to remind you today, one day you are going to stand before Jesus. And I hope, like Paul, you know that you're in a race and one day you're going to stand before Christ. And how many of you want his well done? You want to put up your hands? How many of you want to finish well? Let me tell you today, Paul is an example of a man who is running well. He's not finished yet. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on 
to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He's not finished yet, but he wants to finish well. And we know that he ultimately does because in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 to 8, he can say, I have fought the good fight, was the last letter he wrote. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Oh, man. If I could say that one day, if you could say that one day, it's the greatest thing to achieve in Jesus on planet Earth. So here's this model of finishing well. And I, church, I want to remind you that finishing well this morning means standing firm under many trials. Many trials are going to come your way. And the very same Paul who wrote Philippians could say in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, he says, it is through many hardships we must enter the kingdom of God. If you're going to get to your well done, if you're going to get your heavenly reward, if you're going to stand before Jesus and he says, oh man, good job, is you are going to go through times of testing and trial, just like Jesus did, but on the other side, there is great glory for the one who is willing to stand firm under trial. And that's what Paul is doing. How many of you know the English saying, when it rains, it pours? Such a great saying. Anybody experience that in their life? Ooh. Some of you are in that space right now. It's pouring. And uh, this for Paul, I want you to remember he is a man in deep trial. Although in Philippians you'd think, gosh, you'd have to look a little bit to see it. Uh, guys, how many of you here remember lockdown uh, for uh, two years? Right? It wasn't a happy space. Now, Paul is under house arrest for two years. I mean, that is a little room. He can't go outside. He's like in this box for two years. I mean, that is not good for mental health. How many of you here are in a space like that? Though? You might not be in a physical room, but you're in a job you don't like. You're in a financial situation you can't seem to change. You feel stuck and no door seems to be open to get out of the situation you find yourself in. Friends, if you are stuck in some place you find uncomfortable and can't get out, that is called a trial. Or how many of you are experiencing the pain of public criticism, even though it is false? Paul has got fellow ministers in Rome, basically uh, from their pulpits, telling Paul off. I mean, this guy is experiencing great pain. Maybe someone here is in a job situation where you have had integrity, but you are not being given credit for it. And you're actually suffering for it. Well, one guy told me this last week, something was happening in his job, and he, 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 he told the boss, and everybody that he's worked with has now turned on him. Anybody there today? That's a trial, my friends. What about uh, Paul's pressure of knowing there is going to come this impending standing before the Roman emperor, the most powerful man in the known world? And uh, he, he doesn't know when it's going to actually happen, but he's sitting there in this room. Day in and day out. Maybe it's today. Maybe it'll be tomorrow. And how many of us here are, are sitting in a space where there is an outcome you're waiting for? Maybe it's a retrenchment process and your name's been brought forward and your job is on the line. Or maybe it's, it's a health issue. You, you've had a test for cancer and you're waiting and you're waiting. And this outcome has a massive impact on your future, friends. And there is nothing you can do to move it forward. And you have no control of what the outcome is going to be, friends. That is a trial. That's a trial. But there is one more level where, I mean, Paul is just experiencing a, a deluge of the moment of difficulty. How many of you know what it's like to be leaders in your department or in your business, even in your home? And you know people are watching you. 
And what you do and say is setting an example. And you don't have the luxury as a leader to just throw your toys out the cot because you know people are watching and they're going to follow my lead. And as a leader, Paul does not have the luxury of just letting go of self-restraint. Everything he is doing and saying and how he's choosing to respond is with the knowledge that there are many, many people who are following his lead. That is extremely difficult. And, and for Paul, I, I want you to know that when he says in, in, in verse 18 that we're going to look at today, yes, and I will rejoice, he is saying it in the midst of a deluge. He's, it's not just drizzling, it's pouring. And on every level, he is under pressure. And yet today, he stands so firm under it. He stands so strong. And, and uh, he is a model for us today of what it means to get Jesus' well done through the storm and through the difficulties and through the delay. And today, I want us to look at three simple things Paul does that helps him to stand. And I know this is for you this morning. South African, this is for you. All right? South African Christian, this is for you. I just know this is, this is so prophetic for our time. Uh, the first thing that, that we see in the life of Paul, of standing firm under great heaviness and great, great pressure, is that he practices unnatural rejoicing. Oh, that's a strange sentence, strange title. He practices unnatural rejoicing. Let's turn to verse 18 and the second part of that. Well, we'll read the whole of verse 18. It says this. He says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. But then he goes on to say this. Yes, and I will rejoice. I want to ask you the question this morning. Why does Paul say that twice? Why would he waste ink from his pen to say, well, I'm already rejoicing the fact that these people who don't like me, they're preaching the gospel, and so really it doesn't matter about me. These Christian ministers, they're preaching, and people are getting saved. And so I'm rejoicing in the fact that Christ is being preached. But then he says it again, and, and, and he's saying, yes, and I will rejoice. Why would he say that? Well, my friends, because that second I will rejoice, it is a sheer act of Paul's will. It is a will. He's not feeling it. He's saying, yes, the Greek is actually saying, that's why the ESV says, yes, and I will rejoice. It is an eager determination. And you can translate it and say, but still more, I will rejoice. I will be full of joy. It is a decision he is making. And friends, he is not feeling it. He's not feeling it. And uh, I want to remind you today that Paul is human like you and me. He could feel the pressure of what was coming at him every single day. And he could be tempted to get trapped in a, a head and a heart space of despondency. You know, depression and, and despondency is like a prison. It closes in on you. It, 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 it paralyzes you. It traps you. And Paul could feel the pressure of being imprisoned in his own despondency. And friends, we are no different. When things are not going our way, it's the most natural thing in the world to do to start to go, well, this 
is just well, almost said another word. Um, trying to think, my English is failing at the moment. This is just this is just so unfair. This is just this this can't be happening. This sucks. <laughs> it's awful. And uh, friends, what is natural to do is what the flesh does. And you know what the flesh does in us when things are not going our way? It makes us feel like it's so unfair. And can I remind you today, you know how that unfairness is expressed in us? It's called complaining. You know, now you're looking at the master, all right? Oh, it's coming. Where Paul says, do, do, do everything without complaining. But, but you, you know, it struck me today, no one ever taught us to know how to complain. No one sat down and said, okay, no, no. You sit down and you think about your life and you pick out all the things that are not going well. And then you've got to feel sorry for yourself. you, you really got to feel it. Like, now, what it means to feel sorry for yourself is you think about why everything is so against you. And then when you talk, you use something called whining. You, you know, it, it, when, you, when you talk, you don't just say it normally. You do it with a bit of a twang. And you, you do it over and over. You, you got the concept now. You practice it. No, no, no. You got to really get into it. You know, friends, none of our parents had taught us to complain. And the reason being is my title is, remember, to practice unnatural rejoicing. The most natural place for you and I to sit and say, you will receive all the encouragement in the world is when things are not going your way. You're just going, well... Let me just stay a little while and let me really feel it. And let me make sure everybody else knows I really feel it. Now, friends, that is the normal human response. You know what the root of complaining is? It's just a side effect of feeling preoccupied with self. And, and it is a grip. I cannot, I, I'm speaking from experience this morning. Uh, it is such a grip. It, 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 is, it is almost blinding. And friends, what Paul is teaching us here, he says, yes, I will rejoice. Is he showing us how to break out of that space, which is like a prison. He's saying, if you want to break of that despondency, friends, it is, it is coming with a decision to do what is unnatural in the moment. You will not feel it. You'll get no encouragement from the flesh. You'll get no encouragement from the news. You'll get no encouragement from the world. You'll get no encouragement from Satan. And Paul is taking a pass. He says, I will rejoice. And, and friends, the more I have meditated on this this week, the more I have gone, Matthew, you are, you know, sometimes you just feel so slow spiritually. But if you look at the Old Testament, it is peppered with this decision to rejoice regardless of what the day looks like. And friends, this is going to be a breakthrough moment for you and a breakthrough moment for me, but it's not going to feel natural. It's going to feel unnatural. In actual fact, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, you can pop it up, calls it a sacrifice. It says, the, the writer to the Hebrews says, through Jesus then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips. It's not coming from the heart yet, but it's the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do you know what a sacrifice is? It's when something costs you. It's when you have to give something away 
And you know what the sacrifice of praise is in Scripture? It's praising Jesus at the expense of yourself. Oh, I'm going to say that again. It's the secret. The sacrifice of praise. It's costly. Why? Because when you're praising God, it's at the expense of yourself. It is praise at the expense of us not getting our own way. It is praise when God seems to be taking and not giving. It is praise when God seems to be absent, not present. It is acknowledging his name with our lips when our hearts are not there yet. That's a sacrifice of praise. That is unnatural rejoicing. And, you know, the, one of the earliest scriptures, I remember um, in my family, I think it was from a song, but I taught it to my children in lockdown. Psalm 113, verse 3, it's over there. It says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And you know what struck me as I, I tapped it up? Suddenly it hit me. It doesn't say what kind of day is going to come. It doesn't say what the dawn is going to be coming down upon. It might be a tragic day. It might be a wonderful, fruitful day. The Bible doesn't allow us to define what kind of day determining, that determines the praise of the Lord. It just says, this, it says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. How about this one? My mom used to quote it to me all the time. Psalm 118 verse 24. This is the day. That the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad. Again, it doesn't say what kind of day is coming from the, 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 the special batch of heaven. <laughs> Paul is getting it from, from, from the Old Testament. And friends, the kind of sacrifice of praise that Paul is talking about here is, is epitomized in Job. Um, in Job chapter 1 verse 21 where Job says, Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, friends, that is unnatural. That, for you, logically speaking, does not make sense. In your emotions and everything that you are, it, it, it rebels against honoring a God when He's not giving you what you want. And Paul says, no. Yes, I will rejoice, even when I am not getting the freedom, the defense of my character. I'll praise him. And in Isaiah 61, verse 3, I love the King James here. I don't often quote it, but it's beautiful. This is about the gospel. That it's predicting Jesus coming in Isaiah 61. It's beautiful. It says, To appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them a beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Friends, in Jesus and the gospel, we are given a garment. Now, you can leave the garment in the wardrobe, right? Or you can put it on. 
And, and in Jesus, Paul is saying here, he, he's, yes, I will rejoice. He's choosing to put on that garment of praise and saying, you know what? I don't feel like it. I don't see it. I don't even want to in the flesh. Oh, but in the spirit, I'm putting on this garment of praise. And do you know what that garment of praise is? It's seeing Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. You see, the enemy will do whatever he can to blind you. He will do whatever he can to attack you at your joy. And what Paul is saying is, I will refuse to give in to this natural propensity to fixate on self and to feel like a victim. And he picks up this garment of praise. And friends, he felt nothing at first. That's the point of the Greek. When he says, yes, and I will rejoice, the Greek is saying it is a willful statement. It's not saying, Anna, I am overflowing with joy. He's not saying that. He says, and I have rejoiced, have been rejoicing. He hasn't said that. He says, I will rejoice. And what is he doing? He's saying, God, I'm fixing my eyes on your character and all that you've done right under the very details of my life. And as I'm doing that, I'm resisting what is the natural flow within me. And, and, and you know what happens with Paul? You can pick it up if you read the text very clearly and carefully. Suddenly, there's a, an incredible surge of confidence. I'll read it to you. It says in verse 18, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. And he says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know. There it is. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Friends, that is confident, right? That is, that is a man that has moved from feeling so oppressed and heavy and, and a victim of circumstance to a man that is standing upon the gospel truth of knowing that his God's in control, that his God is leading him, and that his God's going to win, and that ultimately his life is caught up with that kind of God. When he sees it and praises this kind of God, he affirms him verbally with his mouth. I mean, those gods must have had some amazing praise and worship sessions with Paul. Those gods that were guarding him in the room. Here he is. He's just going for it. He's saying, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Do you know that they are the same words in Romans chapter 8, 28? For we know that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Do you know what I worry about when I look at you and I look at my own life this morning? Is I'm worried I'm seeing a people who have lost their confidence in God's ability to lead. And I want to say to you this morning, you are in good hands. But the only way you're going to know that is if you take your mind off yourself and trying to put things in your hands and you choose to do something unnatural where you look at this Jesus Christ and you clothe yourself in praise for what he has done and who he is. Friends, it will change your life. It will change your life. And what Paul does, you can pick it up in the text, he starts from the big and he goes down to the detail. He goes from past into, into the present. This is a man that has been rejoicing unnaturally in the God of all goodness. He says here in verse 12 of chapter 1, he looks to the past. He says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As Paul starts rejoicing in the Lord, he looks back and says, actually, what's happened here? Yes, people told me not to go to, to, to Jerusalem and I went and, and I'm in Rome. 
And, and, and yes, some people are saying, I shouldn't have done it. And some people are saying, yeah, look, look, your ministry's over, Paul. What are all these voices? Let's just put them aside. Let's actually look at the facts of the past and what's happened. The facts of the past is since I've arrived here, I've got to share the gospel with these guys. And there's a revival breaking out. And I can see how God is working all things for the good in the past. Praise the Lord. When last have you done that, my friends? When last have you sat down and looked at the details of God's handwriting over your past? Caring for you, loving you, overruling your willfulness. Finding you when you were wondering. Friends, the facts are so loud if you're willing to praise God for them. And, and, and then he goes to the present. I mean, we saw it last week, Sunday, in, in verse 18, it says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. He goes, well, the past God's worked this all for the good. And what's God doing right now? He, he, the gospel's going out, even though these people don't like me. It doesn't really matter. God is being glorified. And, and I can see how he's working my current situation for the good. Praise God. Friends, today there's a lot more happening in your life than what you are taking to God about in what he's not doing. There's a lot more that he's doing than he's not. And, and I'm telling you now, God has been good day by day, even in the present. And Paul is worshiping God for it. Now, the logic of Paul is this. If, please, this is important. As you are praying, this is where you must land. If God has been so faithful in the past, if God today is being so faithful in the present, do you think he's going to change into the future? I need more from you. If God, in the facts of your life, has been so good, and you, you just acknowledge it, that's, the, that's what it is to praise God unnaturally. You are just going to everywhere your flesh doesn't want to. It, it is, 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 is starting to declare what God has done over and over in the past. And if you see in the present, this morning you came here with a tummy full of food. You, you, you stepped in a house. You have clothing on your back. Paul says, that's good shape. You're in good shape in the hands of God. <laughs> And you can see, oh, he is faithful. Do you think he's going to change into the future? Wow. He doesn't change. And that's why Paul says, I know. I know. He moves to the future. He says in verse 19, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Praise God. And friends, that is what is walking by faith is. You go according to what God has said, how he's acted, and then you believe it's not going to change. You are walking by faith, not sight. You can't see the future, but you know the past. You know what he said. And friends, that is what it means to praise God unnaturally is to stand and say, in this moment, around the future, I cannot see the hand of God yet, but I know what the hand of God has done. And therefore, I know I will praise Him. I will praise Him. This will work out for my deliverance, even in death, even in destruction. I know that this God is going to see to the end what He has started. That's power, friends. And it's real. Can I share a little word from my own life? I had to drop Marina off my wife at the, at the, at the hospital, sorry, at the airport on Wednesday. 
And I drove back and I felt like I was, I said to the Lord, I know what it is. I feel like I'm in mourning over our country. You know, when I was in Uganda, I asked the, 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 the headmaster there of the, the high school, are Ugandans hopeful about the future? What's the outlook? Because I'm interested in what's the difference between these two worlds? And he said, very hopeful. You know, our, our suicide rate is so low. And, and, and the economy is growing by 5% per annum. And, and you just sense that this country is looking forward and it's, it's moving forward. And, and I came back and, and it helped me so much because in South Africa, we have a different experience. And, and friends, we are in mourning for our country. I, I have moved from anger to mourning. And my sense of hope around the future is shaping the way I feel right now. I have to say to the Lord, this is a word for me. Because you're not finished yet. You're not finished yet. And you, 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 you caused me to be, to be here. And he said, I came here kicking and screaming, guys. And I don't want to be anywhere else. The Lord has put us here. And friends, this rejoicing is what God is putting into our hands to face that newsreel, to face the conversations around the bra, to face the conversations when we come home with spouses or friends about how broken the system is in our, in our country. All of these things that are pressurizing us to feel like, oh, well, the best has happened. The worst is to come. We must resist with rejoicing. We must resist with a sense of unnatural orientation saying, Jesus I know who you are. I know what you're doing. I know why I'm here. And I know where this is all going. It is going to be a glorious end. And God has not had the final say yet over South Africa. He will. And I want to say to you today, you will only live in that if you will be willing to say, God, I rejoice in you, even when my heart doesn't want to. And you practice it. Do you know why rejoicing in Paul has to come back over and over? And I want to say he's putting his money where his mouth is. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, some of our favorite verses. Rejoice in the Lord always, right? Again, I say rejoice. Paul is practicing what he preaches. And he says, church, it is a discipline. You know what a discipline is? It's something that your flesh doesn't want to do, but you do it over and over again. You with me? It will change your life, but you have to do it. I sense in us this morning, daily we are fighting against the spirit of fear. And God, God has said, I have not given you that, church. I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and a sound mind. You know how you walk in that is you practice unnatural rejoicing. The Spirit comes down upon faith in Jesus Christ. And you have the opportunity every day to exercise it. And I just sense some of us have been stuck here for years. But this is your breakthrough moment today. This is your breakthrough moment. My two final points are, I'll be quicker, because... I sense that's mainly what's on God's heart. But, it, but I do also want to say there's a loneliness in the room here this morning. I feel like there is a, a loneliness in our hearts spiritually. That your faith with Jesus feels lonely and isolated. And I want to point out to you the second way you stand firm under a trial. is not just unnatural rejoicing every day. It is prioritizing prayer partners. In verse 19, I mean, Paul could have just said this, guys. He could have just said, I know who God was. I know who God is. Hey, man, 
the future's sorted, let's go home. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Why would Paul say that? Did he even need the prayers of others knowing who God is and what God promises to do? Paul would answer a resounding yes. And can I say to you, it makes me love Paul all the more. You remember who this is? This is the great Apostle Paul. He planted churches. Do you think it would be easy for him to let people know that he needs them? I mean, okay. Let's just take a moment. In our modern day terms, we would have called him Bishop, Apostle, da-da-da-da-da-da, Paul. And he would have said, that's my title and I can take it. But he says to these Philippians, I need you. I need you. Paul is opening up his heart to say, I cannot do this alone. And God, Paul knows, has designed it that way. There is a loneliness here. There are some of us here that get up in the morning and you spend your time with Jesus faithfully. You read your Bible. You pray for your family. But you do not know the warmth of sharing that space with another Christian. And God has designed a church that you feel the strength of another's prayers. I'll say it again. God has designed it that you feel the strength of another's prayers. And what Paul is doing here, why, why do you think it's so important for Paul to share the space of prayer? I will, I'll show you. It's because Paul says, it's going to be through your prayers, Philippians. It's not just through mine. But God works through intercessory prayer. He says, guys, it's going to be through your prayers that God's going to give him the victory. There's going to be an outcome here. He knows that God honors the prayers of others, not just our own. And he wants them. He, wa he covets them. He knows he needs them more than he realizes. Do you this morning? I just have to go where I feel led. And, and guys, there is a pride in us to think that we can do this on our own. And, and this idea of me coming to church and being faithful but in isolation, it's not God's heart for you. And I have to say this, you're missing out. You think that you're playing the safe game of faithfulness, but you're not playing the full game of togetherness. And I just sense the Lord saying, what Paul enjoyed from these Philippians is for you to taste and see, but it requires you to open up your life. It requires you to be vulnerable. And some of us are desperate for a new move of God in us. Some of us are desperate for God to do a new season in us. Friends, it, the problem is it's not because you're praying and reading your Bible. The problem is you're doing it alone. And you're not enjoying the grace of what it means to be brought into a space where God says, I have designed you to feel the strength of another's prayers. I've designed you to know what it means to share heart at that level. What it, what, 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 what it means to be able to shoulder the burden collectively. Friends, to have prayer partners in your life, it is to experience a great sense of joy. That's my second point. Is it allows people to share in your life. How many people have access to your heart today? I've got to push you here, guys. Because... You know what, was, what, what has been a blessing for me? It's, God speaking to me about this too. You know what my mom did with, with two other moms in their street? 
I remember on a Monday night, these moms would get together and they would pray for their children. They just thought, you know, we're going to pray for our families and we're going to pray for our kids and they're going to pray for each other. And, and you know, looking at one of those are still my mom's best friends. But I'm telling you now, God heard those prayers. And I can see in my life, I can see how God has honored that faithfulness. They did it for, I mean, was it years? Yes. And, and I could see in my mom, I mean, it was a sacrifice. She, she had a busy husband. She had busy kids. But that night, she got together with her friends and she said, guys, we need to pray. And, and I, I have looked at Christians that are, are full of joy, full of, of satisfaction, and, and I can see one of the markers is they, are, they feel so connected, so cared for, so, so, so open, openly enjoying this, this sense of community. You need a prayer partner in your life. Who is it? Who is it going to be? More than one is a good idea, and it's reciprocal. Reciprocal. Uh, Paul says, I mean, in chapter 1, verse 3 of Philippians, he says, and he prays for them. You, you see how much he prays in return. It wasn't just them praying for him. It was him opening up his life and saying, well, I'm going to pray for you. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. He loved praying for them, and these Philippians, oh, they loved praying for Paul. It is a beautiful picture of partnership, which which thrilled Paul's life. Do you have this in your life? You know why it's so good to have prayer partners? Because Paul knew that when God answered and came through in his life, all the Philippians got to rejoice with him in it. That's my third point, is it enables others to share in your victories. You know, sometimes you ask me to pray for you, and I do, and then suddenly the job comes through, or the thing happens. I feel invested in that outcome, right? You just feel like, yes, that's part of my victory. That's how it should feel. And Paul knows that this is going to work out for his deliverance, but he wants the people of God to share in the joy of God's faithfulness. You deny others the joy of sharing God's faithfulness in your life when you don't let them pray with you. My last one under why do others need to pray is it gives others the opportunity for reward in heaven. Last night, a friend of mine messaged to say, Max, I'm, I'm speaking at SCA at Cambridge. They're, they're having a midnight vigil. I mean, these kids have got more energy than me, that's for sure. And she said, would you pray? And I just finished this. I was like, yes, I'm going to lay hold of it because, Lord, I want my reward in heaven. Praying for others and praying for God's kingdom to come is an opportunity for you to step into what's happening in others' lives and to play a part of it in Jesus' well done. That excites me. And my final point, and I'm going to just make it as a statement. So first, you need to practice unnatural rejoicing every day. Second is you've got to get together with your prayer partners, church. And the third is you've got to trust God's daily supply. I land on this. Verse 19 says this, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Why does Paul add the help? of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The Greek, therefore, help means aid or supply. Notice what Paul is not saying. He's not saying through the outpourings of the Holy Spirit, you'll have help. He's saying the right supply, the aid. In other words, as there is the need, so there is the supply. 
And Paul knows he does not have everything he wants from God yet, but he trusts that daily God will give him everything he needs. I'll say it one more time. Paul does not have everything he wants from God yet, but he trusts that daily God will give him everything he needs. Church, if there is one thing I want you to remember is this, under this point, is that God will not withhold anything you need to please him. God will not withhold anything from you that you need to please him. Did you get that this morning? When you leave this building, Christ calls you to follow him. But he's the Savior that promises to give you what you need to do it well. And for some of us this morning, your fretting over the future is forgetting that on that day that you are so worried about, and that unknown month that is coming, Christ is going to be there. And on that day, you will have everything you need from the Holy Spirit to please him. You can rest. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow. Today, the Spirit will supply what you need. And that's not going to change tomorrow. That is joy, my friend. Let's pray. Let's just take a moment. What has the Lord been saying to you? I just sense his nearness here, his love. Like a father that's gone to a child crying in the corner. And he's heard this crying and he is, he's found you in the corner. And he's pulling you in. He's saying, I haven't changed. I'm still in the house. I'm here in the room. I know what you have just seen that has so upset you. And I am not going to change. In this house, I provide for you. In this family, I protect you. In my household, I take care of all your needs. Oh, Father, we love you this morning. We're thankful for your gentleness towards us. And the way you know how to reach your children so well. And I pray that this morning you would teach us to clothe ourselves with the garments of praise. The joy of who Jesus is and what he's done. The joy of your unchanging nature and the goodness that we see in all the details of our lives. I pray, Lord, we would clothe ourselves as a church with that garment. For a spirit of heaviness. That the world might look at us and say, what is this joy? What is this joy? And we say, let me tell you, it's Jesus. Is there anybody here this morning who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior? There is nowhere else you will find the joy you're looking for outside of him. Come to Jesus right now. Leave your life of sin. Turn towards Christ. Say, Jesus, I want this life that you are promising. I want you to come and 
dwell within me. I want to know this joy. You tell him that. You say, rescue me today. Rescue me from my sin. Make me yours. Be thankful for this time, Lord. In your precious name. Amen.